And uh, this morning we're talking about what are you afraid of? You see, in the natural, there's this thing called fear paralysis. And what it is, is it actually, it's a, it's a reaction that, that a baby has in the womb so that they will attach to the mother's uterus. And uh, it's, it's actually a very natural thing. But the problem is that what, what sometimes happens is that this fear, fear paralysis carries over into after the, the baby is born. It's supposed to be gone by the, the response is supposed to be gone by about the 12th week, something like that, of pregnancy. Um, but what, what it actually tends to do is that it leads to the following. It leads to over or under attachment, exaggerated need for routines, dislike of change, fear of trying something new, irrational fears, anxiety, disturbed sleep, and staying still, not moving forward. Um, not physically. Well, it, it can be physically, but, but also metaphorically. And, and what it actually does is it, it holds children in uh, like a gilded cage. So they, they create a cage around themselves of safety, but it actually ends up, or uh, uh, of protection. They put a, a wall of protection, but it actually ends up being their own cage that keeps them from moving forward. And as I was thinking about this concept this last week, I realized that, that actually we often tend to deal with this spiritually. That when we look at faith and doubt and, and when we wrestle with, with moving from doubt into faith, as we've been talking about over the last nine weeks, that we can actually get stuck, we can get paralyzed by fear. That, that we can actually get so used to building a, a wall around us that it actually becomes the very thing, the very cage that keeps us from stepping out in faith. And I got to thinking, maybe some of our challenges with walking from doubt into faith, from unbelief into belief, are actually rooted in fear. That as we try and make that progression, we get held up by this fear paralysis, this spiritual fear paralysis. And it actually becomes the thing that keeps us from rest, because, because how can we rest if we, if we can't trust God? Because everything then relies on me. It actually keeps me from moving closer to Jesus. From moving deeper in my faith. It can mean that we, we feel afraid of new things. That, that, that we just need to, to stay where we are because that's where it's comfortable. And it can mean that when we hear the word of God, when God speaks to us, that we actually become hearers and not doers of the word. You know, it's, it's one thing, and I, and I love, as, as I'm preaching, I love the response you guys give. Um, I know sometimes maybe you think I want more. I don't. I'm, I'm so glad for, for the response. Um, but it's one thing to, to respond to a word when God speaks it. And it's another to sit there and say, oh, that's a good word. You know, I, I read something this last week, uh, and it said, you know, all these quotes on social media. It's one thing to read them and be like, oh, that's a, that's a good word. You know, and we click like or share. But it's another to actually take that word and put it into practice in my life. And often what fear will do is it will keep us in a place where it's comfortable. We love hearing from God. Yes, Jesus, we want to hear more from you. Absolutely, we do. But it keeps us in the place of hearing and not doing. Maybe one of the reasons sometimes we struggle hearing the voice of God is because he's already spoken and he's waiting on us to move on that. So often, the results of feeling stuck, the inability to, to rest, the busy work where we just feel like we need to keep doing and doing and doing. 
the fear of new things or of change. And the question is, what is it that I'm afraid of? What is it that's paralyzing me and keeping me from stepping into all that God has for me? And I've, I've shared in the past about my own struggles with fear growing up and, and learning how to deal with those and, and how to address them. But often we come up with, with things like this. Well, well, I'm afraid because what if I fail? Or what if I don't have what it takes? Or what if I step out and God doesn't move? What if I share Jesus and, and then they think I'm crazy or it turns them off from him? What if I pray for someone to get healed and they don't get healed? Anybody ever dealt with questions and fears like that? But do you notice what's at the center of every single one of those thoughts? I. What if I don't? What if I do? What if I share? What if I step out? It's, it's my inability that is at the center of those fears. What if I don't have what it takes? And this is what we're talking about this morning. From Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to turn there with me. So here's the thing is, fear takes root when my view of my inability is greater than my view of God's ability. Fear takes root when we view our inability as greater than Christ's ability. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 to 10 to start with. The old system of living under the law, and I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessing to come. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there still was nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. For if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered and the worshipers would have had clear consciences. Instead, once was not enough. So by the repetitive sacrifices year after year, the worshipers were continually reminded of their sins with their hearts still impure. For what power does the blood of bulls and goats have to remove sin's guilt? Since you ultimately... since. So, Jesus, so when Jesus the Messiah came into the world, he said, since you ultimately desire, your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you have clothed me with a body that I may offer myself instead. Multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice. So I said to you, God, I will be the one to go and do your will, to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. Since he said multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice, even though the law required them to be offered. And then he said, God, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces them with an entirely new, he replaces that entire system with a new covenant. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. Did you catch that? Verse 10. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all. How? through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. Do you realize that, that it was at the point where you invited Jesus to come and be Lord of your life that he made you holy? That the payment for that was already paid for on the cross. It was Jesus' body broken on the cross that paid for you to be holy. Holy. 
you realize that? That your holiness is actually... Now hear me very carefully. Don't hear me saying something that I'm not saying, okay? We are called to live in holiness, absolutely. But my holiness is not hinged on my actions. It's hinged on Christ's payment, on his sacrifice. I live out as holy because he has already made me holy at the point of his death on the cross. It's not by my action, it's by Christ's sacrifice. You see, the the thing is that God is perfectly holy, right? And in order to approach someone who is perfectly holy and not die, we also need to be perfectly holy. Now, most of us would be like, well, I'm not perfectly holy, so I guess I can't approach God. Instead of recognizing that at the point that Jesus died on the cross, he made the payment so that every person who believes in him would be made holy. That's his invitation. That's what he already paid for before you ever invited him into your life. And so what we're invited then to do is to actually live out of the holiness he already paid for. That's a different perspective than struggling and striving to try and be holy, to try and deal with whatever things are keeping us from living holy. Instead, to recognize that he already paid the price. He already made the sacrifice. Somehow we've started to believe that our sin or our doubt or our unbelief is more powerful than Jesus' sacrifice. Maybe, maybe you've had this thought, well, well, yeah, I know that Jesus died for you know, that half of the room because they're the holy ones, but what about this half of the room? Sorry, it's not, I'm just using you as an example. That's not, don't come to me afterwards and be like, you said that. Right, sometimes it's, we can look at it and we're like, well, yeah, we know Jesus died for, for the person who's, who's kind to their neighbor, but what about me? Because I'm not always kind to my neighbor. You know, we, the, the person who looks like their marriage is perfectly healthy. We know Jesus died for that, but, but what about my marriage? And we can start to believe that, that actually our inability is enough, is somehow greater than the price, the sacrifice that Jesus paid. Jump down to Hebrews 15. No, 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 sorry. Verse 15. (laughs) Chapter 10, verse 15. Actually, just kidding. We're going to keep reading. Just wanted to make sure you know where you're going. All right. Yet every day... Priests still serve, ritually offering the same sacrifices again and again. Sacrifices that can never take away sin's guilt. Verse 12. But when this priest had offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin, for all time he sat down on the throne at the right hand of God, waiting until all his whispering enemies are subdued and turned into his footstool. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. The Holy Spirit confirms this to us by this scripture. For the Lord says, Afterward I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. And then he says, I will not ever again remember their sins and lawless deeds. So if our sins have been forgiven and forgotten, why would we ever need to offer another sacrifice for sin? That's so good. Can we just agree that we don't need another sacrifice for sin? That this thing that we do when we sin and we're like, God, I'm sorry. We're like, I don't know if you heard me. God, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe if I get down on my knees, maybe then. Right? And we act like God is... is... In the Old Testament, there's a, there's a story where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. And he says, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, an altar and we're going to put some meat on it. And whichever God brings fire down on the sacrifice, that is the one true God. And so the prophets of Baal go first and they're chanting and screaming and shouting and nothing happens. And, and 
Elijah is taunting them, saying, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he can't hear you. You see, that's not the God that we serve. We don't serve the God, a God who, who you need to come to him and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I don't know if you heard me. Maybe I need to repent again. Maybe I need to do something. We serve a God who made the sacrifice once for all time. There's times where, where maybe I, for me, I, I struggle and I'm like, well, maybe today I can't come into the presence of God. Because, you know, I, w- I did this or I did that. or He probably doesn't want me in his presence this morning. But that's not what Hebrews says. It says he made the sacrifice once for all time. And this is, this is the incredible part, starting at verse 19. It says, And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and with no hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. You see, sometimes what we can do is we, we try and use God's holiness as an excuse not to approach God's throne. Right? Have you ever thought that? that well, God is so holy that, that I surely can't boldly run into the throne room. Like, I should come in with trembling and with awe and with fear. And yet, maybe that's not actually... We, we, we write that off as, well, that is... I'm just, I'm just honoring God's holiness. But what if that's actually not honoring His holiness? What if that's actually an act of pride? That what we're saying is, my sin is greater than his sacrifice. Surely I can't approach. Maybe the pastor or the board or the elders or, or the great televangelists, you know, they can approach God's throne. But, but I don't know that I can approach God's throne. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus paid for. He paid so that every single person who would believe in Jesus would boldly approach the throne of God. The old covenant, the priests were the ministers and the people were just the laymen. Not lame men, the laymen. In the new covenant, every single believer is a minister for the kingdom. Every single believer is called to perform signs and wonders and miracles as they follow Jesus. Every single believer is called to evangelize the lost, to love their community, to make disciples of nations. And so what if it's not a belief? What if it's not a belief that that God's holiness keeps me from his presence? What if it's actually fear? What if it's pride motivated by fear that keeps me from boldly entering into his presence? Because what if when I go in there, he so transforms me that nobody recognizes me when I come out? What if I spend time in his presence and he calls me to something that I am incapable of? 
What if I go in there and he's like, I want you to pray for the sick. And you're like, I've never prayed for the sick in my life. That would be uncomfortable. So what if it's actually fear that keeps us hesitant about approaching the throne of God? Hebrews 10:32 Don't you remember those days right after the light shined in your hearts You endured a great marathon season of suffering hardships and yet you stood your ground and at time at times you were publicly and shamefully mistreated being persecuted for your faith Then at other times you stood side by side with those who preached the message of hope. You sympathized with those in prison, and when all your belongings were confiscated, you accepted the violation with joy, convinced that you possessed a treasure growing in heaven that could never be taken from you. So don't lose your bold, courageous faith, for you are destined for a great reward. You need the strength of endurance to reveal the poetry of God's will. And then you receive the promise in full. For soon and very soon, the one who is appearing will come without delay. And he also says, my righteous ones will live from faith. But if fear holds them back, my soul is not content with them. But we are certainly not those held back by fear. Those who are held back by fear and perish. We are among those who have faith and experience true life. See, here the author is addressing, we've talked about this before, the the Jewish people who are looking at, they're being persecuted by their their brothers and sisters who are saying, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep the the feasts, you you need to keep the old covenant laws. And they're saying, well, wouldn't it just be easier for us to just add Jesus to what we already had? At least then we wouldn't get beaten and persecuted and have our things taken from us. They had potential for real fear. It wasn't just that uh, if I believe in Jesus, people might think I'm weird and outdated. This is like, if I believe in Jesus, I'm probably going to get killed, I'm going to get beaten, and they'll probably take all my stuff away. And I just bought a new car. (laughs) By our standards, they would have something to be afraid of. They would be people who you'd say, they are, they, they be, be afraid, be very afraid. Right? We, we look at, at believers in China or in Iran, and we're like, yeah, they have something to fear. And yet the author's address to them, his solution to their fear is approaching the throne with boldness. It's, it's actually standing and beholding the Lamb. It's living in a place where I am constantly coming before him. When I have doubts, I bring them before him and I allow him to speak into my life. That we are invited not just to come as ministers to each other, but that we are come to come as ministers before the Lord. You see, the solution to getting free from fear and from doubt and from unbelief is about drawing near to the throne. Because it's when we behold the king, when we actually see how great he is, when we understand that he paid once for all time so that we could be made holy. When we start to behold that king, every other fear pales in comparison. When we stand before the king, every doubt falls off. Every other, every thought of unbelief has to bow before him. You guys with me? 
We cannot allow fear in our lives at the same time we claim to be living by faith. Because we are not those held back by fear. We are those who have faith and experience true life. We're going to continue right into Hebrews 11. 1 and 2. How many of you guys know that when the Bible was written, the chapters and verses weren't there? So we can, we can pass chapters. It's not a hard and fast. So it says, it says, now faith brings our hope into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Then the author continues and he gives us the history of faith that we stand on. See, faith, having the faith to approach God is what crushes our fears and our doubts. When I choose to say, remember, faith is, is not just a, well, uh, uh, an imaginative belief. It is, I have faith because Jesus is faithful. Because I've seen him move and I know that he'll do it again. It's a, it's a standing on him as my foundation. Right? It's not a drumming up of some imaginative belief. In the Gospels, Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will move. And so often we read that verse and we think that that is, that is the qualification of our faith. So if I can't speak to that mountain to go and throw itself into the sea, I must not even have a mustard seed faith, and then what's the point of even trying? Right? That's how we often read it. We're like, well, I guess I don't have a mustard seed. I might have a, like a mustard molecule. But that's not the purpose of that verse. It's not to, for you to evaluate yourself and be like, oh, I guess I don't have enough faith. It's actually to tell you the power of faith in the face of fear. That if only, if you were to take all the fear and you were to match it up to one mustard seed of faith, the mustard seed of faith would win. It's, it's, Jesus was saying that not to, to evaluate yourself and, and be like, well, I guess I don't have enough faith, so I should just give up. It's actually to say, if you have the tiniest amount of faith, it's more powerful than the fear. It's more powerful than your doubts and your questions and your unbelief. If you will allow it to take root. Isn't that incredible? So this morning, if you even have the smallest amount of faith, it is more powerful than your fear. It is by faith that his righteousness is transferred to you. It is by faith that you are a new creation. It's by faith that you're free from your old life. It's by faith that you're free from your old addictions and habits. It's by faith that you encounter the Father. And it's by faith that you freely approach the throne. Because I know his character, because I know he can never lie. That's the faith that I stand on. That's the belief that I stand on. So what are you afraid of? So often, that fear can feel so overwhelming and so consuming. And so I want to give you a, a really practical tip this morning on how to destroy fear in your life. I want to ask you this. What are you afraid of? You don't have to say it out loud, but just think about something that you're afraid of. Now, what has God spoken that addresses that fear? Fear. 
So often we stand on the fear and we're like, oh man, this is such a, just an all-consuming thing. And yet God has spoken directly to that issue. You don't believe me? I'll prove it. Fear to share the gospel or speak out. Luke 12, 11 and 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. What if we started, remember last week we talked about taking every thought captive. What if we started swapping out those thoughts, the thought of I can't share the gospel because what will people think? And we switch it and we start saying, he will, he will give me the words to say in the moment that I need to say them. I'm afraid to fail. Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Oh, that's good news. So when, when the enemy throws the thought at you of, you're just going to fail, don't even try because what happens if you fail? Everyone will think you're a failure. But if I commit my ways to him, he will ensure that my plans succeed. Fear of not having what it takes. Matthew 28, 20. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then again in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Guess what? When you feel like you don't have enough, it's okay because you've got the full supply with you. You've got abundance. You've got Jesus with you. And he says he will never leave you. Isn't that incredible? Fear of looking foolish. Probably this one's not going to help you much, but 1 Corinthians 4, 9 and 10. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like that those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ. If you want to follow Jesus, it means we're probably going to end up looking foolish. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, and we are dishonored. And number two, practical step number two, take a risk. Even if it's something that seems small. This last week, or sorry, two weeks ago, uh, I was at the school and, and dropping off some, some posters for our Christmas event. And uh, somebody asked me what we were up to for Christmas. And, and I was like, oh, do I mention the Christmas event? Like, for me, often being a pastor, actually, as soon as I say I'm a pastor, the door closes and people are like, oh, that's cool. See you later. <laughs> um, and, but I, I felt like I, this, this specific person had asked me, and I was like, well, I, I do need to mention this event. I want to invite them to it. And, and so even though it so, seemed like a small risk, it was, it was worth it, because I was like, oh, well, we have this event happening. You guys should come. It's a whole lot of fun. And she looked at me, she's like, oh, we've been looking for something to do for Christmas Eve. We're definitely going to, we'd love to come check that out. See, so often when we take a risk, we think it's a risk, but it's actually not because Jesus is faithful. Because he's actually been preparing things behind the scenes that we don't see. So even if it seems small, take a risk. There's a verse in 1 John. And it says that perfect love casts out fear. when I know, when I experience the perfect love of Jesus, every other fear has to melt away. It means that I'm, I am choosing to trust who he says he is. Maybe in spite of the current situation that I'm facing. 
That I choose to trust that he is faithful to his word. That he will not and cannot lie. And I don't step out because I have the ability. It's because I trust that his sacrifice was enough. I trust in his ability instead of my own inability. Fear takes root when we view our inability as greater than Christ's ability. But perfect love casts out fear. Hebrews 12, 1. As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like a cloud. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. Or it could also be the sin that so easily entangles us. And the context here actually implies it's the sin of unbelief and doubting God's promise. And then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has already been marked out before us. Church, let us be a people who choose to walk in faith instead of fear. To walk in faith instead of doubt. That that we would actually say, I refuse to settle because I know what Jesus paid for. I refuse to settle for anything less than what Jesus paid for in my life. I refuse to stay stuck in addiction. I refuse to, to, to stay comfortable because Jesus paid for so much more. Let us be people who say, I refuse to settle because of fear. And I refuse to let that fear keep me from all that God has paid for. All that Jesus has paid for. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that your sacrifice was enough. That by your payment on the cross, we can be made holy. We are made holy. And that because of that holiness, we can boldly approach your throne. Just with every eye closed in the room, I just want to, we've been talking about Jesus' invitation that he invites us to be sons and daughters and to be made holy, to boldly approach the throne. And so this morning before we close, I want to give opportunity. If this morning you're here and you haven't invited, you haven't accepted Jesus' invitation so that you could boldly approach the throne, I want to give you space to do that right now. If you would look at your, your life and say, you know what, my life is a mess. This is not working out for me. It's not going the way I thought it would. Jesus' invitation to you is to come and be part of his family. To let him transform you. So that you can walk daily, intimately connected to him. And so this morning, if you have never chosen to follow Jesus, if you've never given your life over to him and said, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life, just want to invite you to put your hand up right now. We'll pray together. Awesome. So Jesus, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your sacrifice. And we just choose this morning not to be controlled by fear, 
but to move in faith instead. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you'd like prayer this morning, we'll have prayer teams at the front. If you can keep the uh, sanctuary quiet, just for anyone who'd like a bit more time. Uh, And we'll have goodies and coffee in the foyer, so please stick around, visit, and basically whatever that says.